Plastic handcuffs troll. Welcome to the first episode of Plastic Handcuffs. What we like to do here is basically interview people that are kind of regular and not, and I, when I say regular, I don't mean that in like a way where they're not important or not special, but regular as in just like you and me. I have noticed in a lot of podcasts with celebrities, people like to pander a lot. Uh, the celebrities really worried about being canceled so they're very conservative and you know the good thing about regular people is we don't really have much to lose here so we have the luxury to be honest what is a better characteristic of a podcast than honesty and some real shit today i have a very special guest we have mr anthony gray from booth bay maine i met anthony uh working in Booth Bay last summer. Booth Bay is like a... I've never seen anything like it. I've never been in such a small area that's so coastal and so uh, white. <laughs> and so, like, where there's, like, where there's, like, one grocery store, where there's, like, a huge heroin problem. But there's, with all the negative things I just said, um, there is some beauty in that as well. It's... It's all right, man. When you say huge heroin problem, when I think about it, it's not as bad as it was. It had a huge heroin problem. And a lot of the people that obviously are using it right now are the remains from the rest of the people that used it when it was a big problem. So like an older generational thing? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people, however, that come here from away and work in the restaurant industry, for example, a lot of those guys will bring their shit with them and spread it to some of the people here. And some of the people who look up to those guys or whatever will fall under that spell. But as far as the town goes, it's, I mean, people here, they're all hardworking. Well, most of them and sincere to a degree, but it is a fucked up little place. It's uh, manic, I guess is the best way. Highs and lows that are just extreme. I guess I saw it as a huge heroin problem because one of our co-workers died of heroin while we were there. And then we found all this. We found the heroin spoons in the attic from a different employee. So for me personally, I've never seen heroin that much because maybe I'm just sheltered or I wasn't cool enough to be offered any. <laughs> but um uh, <laughs> That's a but yeah, I guess in my sheltered world, that was huge. But I guess in the spectrum of things, maybe not so not so huge. It, it, I guess huge is a subjective term. I'm not sure. To you, though, I mean, when we lost that guy we worked with due to an overdose, that was a big deal because none of us saw that coming. I don't. I don't think anyway. I didn't see it coming. Um, that was my first uh, overdose experience with somebody I knew. You, you've you said to me previously that you've had a lot of friends. Well, well, not necessarily overdose, but 
used heroin over the course of the years, yeah. I've known quite a few people uh, that have. it. I'm not sure how many people I know that have died from an overdose, but it is a problem for every, everywhere. However, it's not disproportionate. The opiate problem, which is just a spin-off of heroin, was more of a problem here more recently than anything else, and still sort of is the pills, you know? You've just recently left your, uh, your chef position at your uh, current employment. Yeah. Why did you leave? <clears throat> Multiple reasons. Uh, going back there was more like getting guilted into going back to work because the owner needed people to help him out. And he also needed to justify the COVID-19 loan he got for his staff. Uh, the PPP. Yeah. Yeah. And he really didn't manage the social distancing very well. That was the first thing. And I've got a mother that's high risk, actually. I mean, she's a lung cancer survivor, so... And there's there was just a lot of that. And then, you know, money's tighter, everyone's more stressed out. There was another... There was a guy there that there's no way he and I could work together successfully. And it was just time. I, I put in my two weeks, and he was like, oh, you can just go. I knew you were going to quit. But that's because pretty much his feelings were hurt, I think. You know? I noticed when it happened when I was there last year, that, that was his response to pretty much anybody, anybody that was trying to leave. He definitely took it to heart for sure. Yeah. Your experience as a chef that started when you were a kid. He, well, not as a chef, but in restaurants. Yes. Yes. Uh, started it. Realistically started cooking at home, but with my grandfather who had owned restaurants and, cooked quite a bit in his life and he spent a lot of time with me we would cook together all the time and then I became a teenager 14 as soon as I could work I went out and got my work permit and started working and started as a dishwasher quickly earned my way onto the line and from there on I was hooked it was you know fire knives food hot waitresses it was drugs. Great. Drugs, yeah. Th that too. <laughs> Alcohol. <laughs> so there was a point where it was like, this is the shit. Oh, yeah. It was very seductive, you know? A teenage guy hanging out with a bunch of 20-something women after work at a party somewhere, partying your ass off. You've got no responsibilities. All you could do is go home. <laughs> Yeah, it was great. It was really great. So at what point did that go away where you're like, this fucking sucks or like, this is not as, this is not as cool as I thought. Oh, that's a, uh, it, it goes away and comes back and goes away and comes back quite a bit throughout, you know, a lifetime of doing it. It, Working in the kitchen, specifically, it you you deal with chefs, you deal with 
everyone's the the owner's personal problems, the chef's personal problems, all their angst go, bleeds down on everyone else, as everyone knows. It becomes tiresome. I mean, and as you climb through the ranks and you become a chef yourself, you have to deal with the opposite of that, which is everyone's personal problems and all their noise and your owner's problems. It's and your creativity, excuse me, can get limited by owners' constrictions or budget constrictions. There's a lot that just, you know, once you do something long enough and, and you obviously can do it and you do it well, it's, it's kind of like it's time to move on to something else and you're just beating a dead horse and you're not growing as a person. You're just doing the same thing in different ways. It's like saying the same thing a ton of different times hoping to get or asking the same question a ton of different times, hoping to get a different answer at one at some point. So we're both we're both around forty years of age. I kind of have us have the similar feelings that you have right now. But there's a thing with where, like, if you've been cooking for this long, it's really hard transitioning into something else after this point. Oh yeah. So now that you're taking a break from cooking, are you looking at other? options for career or are you just gonna take a break and go right back uh i doubt i'm gonna take a break and go right back i'm definitely going to explore my options so as someone that's been cooking for the past 20 years what are your avenues that you could see like that you could kind of attempt to take that's a good question uh some of it i i i've always been fairly decent writer so there's that. Uh, I could always. I've done construction before. I could always just become a contractor and start building houses and hire a bunch of friends or people I know to work for me to get started. Are you stressed out about it right now, or are, no, do you feel not, like confident? I'm. I'm not stressed out about it at all. I mean, money is just. It, it's not that hard to make money. All you have to do is work. And as long as the work isn't destroying your mind, then you can pursue whatever your other goals are. It's just a means to an end, a temporary state, you know, whatever job you do, as long as it's not consuming your life. If you're not doing it 12 hours a day, seven days a week for months, you'll be all right. So you, you have a good like outlook on it. You're not like, you're not really a defeatist when it comes to surviving. No, it's pretty easy to survive. It's harder to live. I recently signed up for um, Medi-Cal, which is free health insurance in California. I was trying to scam some Adderalls out of the system. And in my, in my path on, of scamming, scamming prescription pills i realized like i actually need them and i have like the story that i was trying to make up to get the pills was actually real but yeah i so i'm i do the tele telehealth like phone therapy session tell them tell them what's going on realize like oh my god i actually i actually need this shit and then get sent to a telepsych psychiatric appointment, um, answer some questions. 
And uh, yeah, I realized like therapy is the shit. I don't know why I opted to not get more therapy when they asked and just to get the medicine. Cause probably cause I'm an idiot about it, but uh, let's go into like mental health in the kitchen and just like your personal experience. Uh, mental health in the kitchen. Well, it depends on what kitchen you're in. I haven't been in exactly a, an emotionally sound kitchen ever in my life. Uh, you become addicted to feeding off the stress and you, and there's a lot of it. You definitely end up coping with other things and it doesn't serve you. If you have problems with depression or bipolar disorder or your schizotypal tip, whatever it's, it's going to be an easy way for you to make money, but at the same time, it's going to, do so much damage to you you're gonna i don't know i've suffered with depression it's definitely not a healthy environment um no i don't i don't know i mean i've probably been in maybe 13 14 different kitchens in my life something like that maybe even more and i can't remember one where there wasn't either some physical some physical problems where I'm inhaling shit I shouldn't inhale or like standing in a room that's way too hot or dealing with people that um, psychologically that make it really stressful to, to just feel normal. Like there's always the kitchen is like one of the most problematic places I've ever been in. It takes a certain kind of person to deal with that. Every kitchen I've worked in, I don't know if you can revamp that and still have staff. Uh, every everybody everybody's a person, and everyone's going to have their moments of whatever positive or negative actions or things. It's I guess it it stems from the top. I don't know if you can revamp it though. I mean, is there going to be like a an emotion cop or uh, an emotional abuse police officer sitting there with a stick, slapping everyone on the wrist. Like, no. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I, I guess like HR, so you, and, you, you and me, you and me come from a, a different era where we, we had to deal with, deal with more shit than this, this, uh, this newer generation. And I'm sure you've, you've uh, seen that, it's really difficult to keep the younger generation um, from not quitting. Uh, definitely. The work, the work is, is hard in a lot. Some kitchens are harder than others. Uh, the one we worked in was especially difficult because it was, there was a lot of physical labor on top of everything else, like intense physical labor. The interesting thing about Booth Bay was I've never, I've never worked somewhere where they um, bring in students from Europe or other countries to work for the summer, and um, and then they they just leave after the season's over. Well, I I didn't hire a lot of them, but I do understand that it's basically from what I the way the owner that we worked for did it. It was kind of like he was shopping for indentured servants for, for the <laughs> summer season, honestly. Do you want to buy this person and pay him 
between this and this, and that person, and that person. And depending on who you are as a person while you're going through these programs and getting people on this student visa, you know, you can be sinister about it and only hire beautiful, a bunch of beautiful Eastern Bloc European college student girls, or you can get people that actually work. It's, you know. <laughs> so, you're li- so you're literally looking through pictures and like stats of European, European uh, students. Yeah. European, Russian. Uh, absolutely. That's pretty much where he gets his from. Other people use the H2B visa program, which is more of a migrant worker program. But he has interviews with the students. Uh, he he advertises to them as well. He shows them pictures of where they're going to live and what it's going to be like. And obviously he makes it, I'd say, a good 60% less miserable than it actually is. Yeah, just, just a little marketing. Good, good marketing, little. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if if that didn't happen, though, there wouldn't be people to work. It's not because there aren't enough people. It's just there aren't enough people willing to do that. And these people, a lot of them will come here because the money, the dollar is worth more than just a dollar when they go home. So basically, they come up to a semi, they come into a semi fucked up work situation but they come back home twice, like pretty well off. Well, in some cases, in in quite a few cases, yes, yes, uh, it takes care of a lot of problems. That's why you have a lot of return return people. They they hate the work, but they love the money, and they also develop relationships with a lot of the people they work with. You know, I notice a lot of the people we work with. Like a lot of the the girls I would talk to were in dentistry school and like ner- a lot of nurses, a lot of but a lot of medical students, a lot a lot of engineers. Um, so it was a high caliber group of students. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely overqualified for the job they're doing because they're doing menial things. They're hired. They're not hired to come in and take over. It was served tables. They're not coming in to be waitresses or waiters or or line cooks. They're coming in to do like support staff. Uh, they're coming in to mop floors, bus tables, be a host, do dishes. Maybe if they show the aptitude, prep cook. Some actually get to do fry on the line, like dropping things in oil because that's easy to do but that's pretty much the glass ceiling they food run and do those other things uh, and then you were telling me that you had a brain surgeon washing dishes yes yeah that was years ago but he was studying to be a brain surgeon and he was very meticulous dishwasher the the pots and pans you know how you usually get that darkness on the bottom of them they were all shiny. I mean, he thought the job was so easy and so relaxing that he loved it. But that's a rare kind of find, you know, in a 
support staff person. You're telling me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brain surgeon, pot scrubbing, like genius. Machine. Yeah. Oh, he was, he was great. While these European indentured servants <laughs> students are coming, <laughs> half, half your mind is like, this is kind of fucked up and half of it's like, this is necessary. Yeah. It's definitely torn. So, you know, I try to be as nice as possible until I, it's made that I can't be as accommodating due to say personality conflicts. Sometimes people come from away with giant egos and a bad opinion of Americans. Sometimes people come in scared. It varies. But the point is I'm trying to make is you want to be as accommodating to these people as you possibly can as their coworker. You want them to feel good, not just because you need their help. It's not like an, evil manipulative thing it's because you know that they're away from home they're in a different country it's got to be it has to be a little bit scary and you're dealing with a lot of strange crazy deranged people in a restaurant you know so, yeah. <laughs> so not only are they deal are they in a new country but they're they're living and rooming with people from other countries as well. So there's like cultural, there's cultural differences like everywhere they go. Oh yeah. What different areas did you have uh, people coming from? One example I can give you is just from last year, the Moldovans and the Romanians had a bit of issue with each other because of the Russian thing. Now I'm not a big history buff, but what I gathered was Russia basically kicked Romania's ass and part of it became Moldova or something to that effect. I'm not 100% sure, but the Moldovians speak Russian and Romanian and the Romanians just speak Romanian. So there's a little bit of conflict there. There's like the Moldovians are more macho, I guess, and Lord, they're more alpha waves over the Romanians, which, and the Romanians feel like they're more sophisticated than the Moldovans. That definitely yeah. was prevalent. And then you got, you got your wild ass locals in Booth Bay, just throwing a, throwing a whole another string of, uh, Oh yeah. Crazy yeah. into there, huh? Of a bunch of manic codependent people with various addictions and emotional problems. Just, doing what they do it's definitely yeah. seriously it's a social uh social experiment to say the least somebody should study that environment because i know for you guys it's like oh another summer but me going there once <laughs> like it's it's a dude it's a one of a kind it's like it, that's an acid trip <laughs> um but for me i like that kind of shit because i'm I don't want to be there forever, but I'm like anything like different like that. I'm just, I'm at least into it a little bit, you know? Oh yeah. Especially if you're passing through and it's not your whole life. It's like, Oh, this is fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) But, but but think about the poor people that like, think about the the guy that owns the place. Oh man, that's gotta be so stressful. Um, he was a cool cu- He like didn't get stressed that easy. You made him laugh. You made him laugh a lot, and he liked you. And he also sheltered you. Thank you were, God for that. You were protected. 
you were kind of like a made man before you even got there. So, um, <laughs> it was almost on some white privilege shit at my ripe old age. Um, it's a rough environment, man. Like, well, it's, um, that, that place is definitely for younger men. It's for, for like 35 and younger, honestly. That's the cap should be 35 for that kitchen, especially. You are working at a coffee coffee house right now? Yeah. I, uh, it's really relaxed. The, the owners are really, I actually tried to tell them not to hire me over and over and over again, but they would not quit. And I worked with one of the owners before at the same restaurant, my first year there that you worked at and he was a food runner, but he used to be a chef for the same owner and another restaurant. This is so convoluted. There's so many restaurants that are run. Everyone here has worked at just about every restaurant who lives here that does this. The reason you guys have to hire people from Europe, like students from Europe is that that's because you cannot find enough locals to work. Is that? Yeah. And, and the success for, even if you find the locals actually staying through when you need them the most, most people will quit around right now, July 4th, right before July 4th. Like clockwork. Yeah. There's a huge changeover of staff with the restaurants around here around this time of year. If you get a regular, like good employee that kind of hangs in there, that's so that's pretty rare over there. It's I'd say out of, yeah, 25%. Maybe that might be generous. Be generous. How hard to run a restaurant like that? Extremely hard. However, as long as you do it and stick with it, I mean, and obviously sling a lot of booze, like, most people come here to on vacation to sit over the water, have a few drinks. They're not exactly, you're not coming here to be a foodie. You know, the, the cuisine isn't super high end. It's just a matter of it's good food and a lot of drinks. It's really good food, but it's mostly drinks. That's where the money is. Due to the pandemic, you guys made uh, most of your money on drinks and had to stop selling drinks. Well, we don't have, they don't, well, I say we, uh, they don't have late night anymore. So there's no bands in the bars. Can't have the bars. And apparently every, a lot of people in town who weren't adhering a hundred percent to the guidelines have just been issued a warning for social distancing and, you know, some, some one place got caught for staff not wearing a mask while they were serving people. Now the story I heard was that server asked the people if they were comfortable with her not wearing a mask and they were. However, that doesn't matter because of the guidelines set in place. Tables, people who were sitting too close, they weren't six feet apart. The tables weren't six feet apart. There's only 50 people allowed in a room and it makes things much more difficult as far as your bottom line because you're losing money no matter what. 
you know, like the financial numbers of the the restaurant we worked at together. I know some of them. Yeah. How much? How much did the pandemic hurt hurt you guys? He's that place is standing to lose over probably sixty percent of its profits. I'd say it's it's rough. Uh, you go from making, we'll say, a good day just the day before the bar and the night and the bands. That would be an eighteen thousand day. The average day now is probably around five to seven. Add that and- up. Over you know five six months that that hurts, and that hurts. and they make all their money in like in a short amount of time like a seasonal what yeah. four or five month period, uh, the end of April until probably the first week of November. Usually the as we like to say they roll up the sidewalks on Columbus Day usually, which is in October, but some places go a little longer. Have you seen some strategies that these owners have tried to implement to survive? Yeah. To-go drinks is a popular one. Uh, A lot of to-go food. To-go, making things more to-go. The place I work at is completely to-go. Nice. to be a nice little coffee shop. And now everything is behind glass. There's two doors. One door is an order door. The other door is a pickup door. That's it. That's probably the best example of someone adapting I've seen in the town. Other people are struggling with it, honestly. That's why they're getting warnings. Yeah, like when I was there, it looked like it was all about the bar. It was like 70% about the bar and like 30% food. Yeah. That's what it seemed. And people get really good stiff drinks here. It's not like you, you know... We like to, one of the things is you, you, if you drink here and you live here and then you go to Boston, the difference in a drink, you, you have to spend so much more money to, to have a drink taste. You, you can't get one drink that tastes the same. You know, for me, it's simple because I just drink doubles of whiskey when I drink, but a lot of people like their mixed drinks and the mixed drinks here are really, really good. The problem is sometimes people get overserved and then everyone gets looked into and whatnot. But how many times can they deal with this kind of season and and it still be there? Uh, well, the restaurant we worked at might be done now after this season. The owner flat out said, "If it does, if we don't get extremely lucky when we had our first meeting, uh, we won't be open. He won't be opening again." What about, um, so they had three restaurants. One of them already shut down, but that one was going to be shut down because it was, the the property was purchased by a new person. Uh, there are, people are trying to polish up the town and make it more modern and more attractive. There's a couple of millionaires that are going around playing Monopoly here and trying to clean it up what's going to happen eventually is a lot of the people that aren't making more than you know if you're not making at least fifty thousand dollars a year you're not going to be able to live here and there's and there's no housing here housing is a huge problem but so it it makes it harder to just get staff say uh guys that work down in florida all winter 
could come up here and work all summer, there's no housing for them. So it makes getting experienced workers even more challenging, which makes the consistency of everything less than it should be. And it the problems just snowball. And this and COVID-19 on top of it, it's just not a positive. It doesn't look like it's going to take at least two years for the town to rebound. So what's the vibe like over there? Is it it's kind of depressing right now? No. Most people are too aggressive to be depressed. They're kind of like, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you. You can't tell me to wear a mask. I mean, that, there's a lot of bitch. So um, did, when the pandemic first started over there, there being one grocery store in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. Hannaford's just uh, must have been swamped, huh? It was wiped out. It was wiped out. Uh, people went in there and bought not just toilet paper, but so many things. But the, the people that managed that place, I was really impressed. Uh, they started limiting what they would put out. So they would ration out their supplies so they wouldn't all get bought out right away. And they reacted and responded to the COVID crisis very well, uh, amazingly well. I would go to other, uh, I would go to other towns up further North, like Rockland, for example, and no one would be doing a goddamn thing and everything would just be a mess. I'm surprised we've been fortunate that as far as we know, COVID hasn't really taken a lot of people out because we have a huge elderly population here. Yeah. And that would do some serious damage. But we're fortunate so far. You guys never got hit with COVID really hard yet. As far as technically speaking and after testing and everything, no, we haven't. This county in Maine is not one of the danger zones. However, as more people from New York and Florida and Texas and everyone that comes here, if they don't quarantine themselves after coming here, which is also another painful thing for the tourist industry and hospitality industry, because you have to be quarantined for two weeks after arriving here, or you're supposed to, supposed to, they, uh, it, it, that's a discouraging thing. You're not going to go somewhere and spend money to stay in a hotel for two weeks just so you can hang out in a town you liked for a few days. You know what I mean? Definitely not. Booth Bay is pricey. You're not going to go. Everything needs to be lined up for Booth Bay to be your choice, in my opinion. If everything's perfect, then okay, let's 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 put money into traveling here. But if things are off. Yeah, I could see, like, economic disaster, for sure. Yeah. It's been through its up, ups and downs, this town. Uh, it, it was on an uptick. When you when you were here, it was... I guess that was the peak, because now it's crashing pretty hard, but that's how it works. I would listen to the owner and everybody talking about sales and stuff, and, like, it's always hard for me to tr- trust owners, because every. You know, owners always want to tell you they're not making as much as they should. Yeah. The old, the old, ah, we're down, we're we're down this month, guys. Sorry, Don't no ask me for a raise. Yeah, no raises. Um, so yeah, <laughs> and I was only there for one summer, so I didn't, I, I didn't even pay attention. I'm not trying to. I I didn't really have a good idea of like what this 
what the money situation was there, but it seemed okay when I was there last year. Like, yeah, it was it was actually doing really well. It was probably one of the better years he had for that restaurant. Other than my first year there, I know he did better because the kitchen was insane and the bar bar nights were insane. But the kitchen was 10 times busier back then. You guys make a lot of money off special events and catering. Absolutely. You said that you lost at what was it every single event this year or most of them? Everyone, everyone, that's a quarter million dollars he lost. Can you imagine losing a quarter million? I don't even know. (laughs) I don't even know. Uh, For him, I don't know how anyone can recover from all this loss. Honestly, he's going to have to streamline a lot of things to recover. It's going to be a while. I mean, last year we just, he had just invested in, a brand new, a, a lot of brand new equipment, uh, including that your favorite toy, the oven, the pizza. Oh, oven. you guys upgraded the pizza oven? No, he did that last year. That was brand new there last year. I know that you were learning how to use that one, but so was I. Oh, it had just arrived a month before you got there. <laughs> yeah, you were you were pretty amazing on that oven. I have so to were say, you. I, I thought I thought you were on there for like ten years or something. No, it's just fire. I mean, you always fire. told me that, and I'm like, bitch, it is not just fire. <laughs> <laughs> it's just fire. You just have to work with the fire, man. I like that. I liked your mentality in the kitchen. You like try to like simplify it. You know, like you try to you try to alleviate the stress of like you know like everyone's thinking like too much extra stuff. And you yeah. and you're you're just like yo, it's heat and it's meat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what we're doing is we're cutting, seasoning, and adding heat. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> you guys had low pandemic casualty numbers so far. Have you seen a lot of people like on the streets wearing masks? Like for example, in San Diego, California is now having our spike. I'm noticing it's looking about 55% of people are wearing masks and like 45 aren't. Maybe that's just like my neighborhood or where I'm around. It seems like a lot lower, a lot less people are taking it seriously around here. Even with like news of, of spikes happening. How is it over there? Nah, uh, most people don't give a shit. Let's just, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if I can give you an accurate, accurate percentage, but a lot of the people in this town that are out walking, older or younger, aren't wearing masks. If you go into grocery stores or, say, Irving, you remember the convenience store? Some people in there wear masks, and, and, but most of them don't. Especially the absolute locals that live here. Most of the locals don't. They are like honey badger. They don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so you... So you just are like, God damn it. Like, I I don't know. Uh, if I don't know how much longer I'm going to stay in this town anyway. So, but, and I'm pretty reclusive. I'm going to go to work and come home and not do much. It, that's pretty easy for me. Quarantine was like a cakewalk for me. Oh, I dude. Was, I was built <laughs> for quarantine. <laughs> I was too. It was like, oh, oh, everyone's having a hard time, huh? Oh, this is 
great. It's my time to shine at home. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, when people were freaking out, I was just like, are you guys serious? Like, this is the best thing ever. Like, not the fact that people are getting sick, but we're supposed to stay at home and do nothing? Sign me up. Oh, there were a lot of internet scams going on that t- at that time, though, as far as, like, flash sales. Oh, the temptation. Ugh. $94 four-wheeler shipped to your house. <laughs> oh, I miss I missed all that. Oh, there were so many flash sales on Instagram, on Facebook. Ugh. That was crazy. Um, so here we have a lot of protests and Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, positive energy and like uh, kind of like people trying to change things here. Is that even a thing over there? Unfortunately, no. A lot of people here don't even understand what white privilege is, and they're all lives matter kind of people. And the, a lot of people here are racist and don't even know it. You know, that's the that's the truth. It, it sucks, but I mean, they're afraid mostly. They're not. It's hard. I, some of my peers that I grew up with, they would leave this town or the neighboring town and go down to Florida, for example, and they couldn't handle it. They freaked out and came home within two months as young adults. I went down there after all of them and I stayed for quite a while, four years, I'd say. I went to there a lot of the people here. Maine used to be called the deep south of the north. I mean, Maine had a strong KKK presence at one point. Yeah, as a matter of fact, the guy who runs one of the mini golfs here, his great or his yeah, his grandfather was grand wizard of a chapter or some group. I don't I don't understand their politics, obviously. But people don't realize about understand their white privileges here. Uh first of all, information takes a while a longer to get here. I don't know if you realize that when you went back home, how much sooner you learn things outside of this place than you do here. I'm on my phone all the time. You just need a microchip in your head, man. You'll be all set. You know, I'm really actually worried about it. That's, you know, um, when I was getting tested for ADD, one of the things that worried me the most was I couldn't even concentrate on like a five minute YouTube clip. Like I'm already trying to, blast to something else and i'm like dude you can't even watch a five minute clip on something you chose like something you're interested in well it'll change something will change somewhere along the lines i'm not sure what but staying on the point with people here uh and the black lives matter and all lives matter and basically the political shifts they're having and there's, for example, there's one guy who's been privileged enough to just read history books his whole life and be obsessed with the Civil War and be a Civil War reenactor who's a little, he's two years older than me. And he was absolutely livid. He's livid about the Confederate flag being disrespected. He's He doesn't consider himself to be racist at all. He doesn't consider himself to be, you know, an idiot. But he doesn't realize because he's he's had the privilege to bury his face in these history books and learn all these facts and regurgitate everything he learns like 
some pompous fool because he's just regurgitating stuff he was told. He doesn't, he misses the point, and that's what's going on with a lot of people. I don't think it's just here. It's just here at such a small, tiny community, it's easy to notice these things. You are like one of the few people that had a wide understanding of a lot of issues that I've met over there. And I, I guess my question is, like, why was it only you? Out of all the people I met, I mean, the, some people in Europe were um, definitely aware of things, but out, out of the locals, it was almost just you. And yeah, why? Why is that? I, you think? Uh, Do you I, know other people that are like you that think like you over there? No, I'm pretty. Uh, I'm pretty much inundated with everyone else. It's. Uh, I hate to say that because that sounds so. I don't know. Uh, I've I've just always been a critical thinker. I always took a step back. I was always looking at both sides of the story, trying to figure out. And I paid a lot of of, of attention to my thoughts just for my own mental health. From a very young age, I would I would analyze and write things down in black and white so I could see what made sense as I was looking it over or writing it. It was a great way to have a clearer grasp of what's going on. And I also read a lot more, probably, you know, and exposed myself to a lot more than my peer groups here did, to be quite honest. You're Uh, born and bred Booth Bay? No, I came here at six years old and I grew up here. I did, we did have an interesting thing going to school here in grade school and high school, the classes ahead of us and the classes behind my class, they were very rowdy, bullyish, like fights and consumptive behavior, you know, just normal bullshit behavior. And our class was very quiet, calm, cool, collected and studied. I mean, we still had some issues, but it was, we were, considered to be the best class that went through that school in many, many, many years entirely. Yeah. I don't know why that was it. We were, we were definitely unique. Just the stars aligned for that, that class, huh? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute. These guys aren't all racist and raping. Like, I think they're we had, special. <laughs> I think we had good uh, teachers, you know, and a lot of us had uh, that generation of parents, I guess, made it better for a lot of us. And there were more kids in that class like that. So that rubbed off on the other kids who didn't have as solid a background. I didn't really have a solid background, but there were a lot of people who did. And people gel off each other and vibe off each other. And they figure it out that way, imitating each other sort of. I mean, that's how people learn. They imitate what they see. So if you could go back in time and like kind of study and kind of set up a new career path or a new lifestyle for yourself, would you take the same route or would you switch some things up? Well, I suppose if uh, my support system had been more solid, I would definitely have been in a different career. 
I wouldn't have started work as early. I probably, a lot of things would have been different, but unfortunately I'd probably be leaving whatever career that was too, because I'd have done it too long at that point. Uh, law maybe because I loved words. I've always loved words and understanding things. That was, that would probably be it is I'd probably be just a lawyer. Oh God. <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. Mm. Now that you are taking a break from cooking, which I I'm kind of as well, at least with the, the line or kitchen cooking, are you going to try to pursue something like that? Or are you going to uh, go back to cooking? Actually just working on writing and I'm weighing my options. I, I, doubt that I'm going to go to law school. I highly doubt that. Um, and I doubt that I'm going to study to pass the bar, at least here in Maine. I'm more or less just looking to build up the savings enough to go somewhere else and at my old age, start fresh, honestly. What areas look appealing to you? Uh, well, I did research on what areas were best for freelance writers because writing seems to be one of the skills I have. And actually, your area is the best place in the country for freelance writers. Really? Yeah. What did it, uh, why did it say? And uh, by the way, I'm in San Diego, if anybody cares. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. It, it, it's, I guess there's a community there, and writers support each other there quite a bit, and there's a more of a market for it. Uh, what's so? What's it gonna take for you to make that make that Jump. leap? Oh, this season to end. <laughs> That's it. Nice. I've got to trim down a lot of the belongings. I'm sure it's too much stuff. I don't like to. You can't travel that heavy. You have a girlfriend right now. We are. It's complicated. We're kind of like, yeah, we're kind of like really good friends that love each other, but aren't in that romantic vibe. Do you know what I mean? I sure do. And I I don't want to, and because I, during the winter, I get pretty dark and depressed, like seriously heavy, heavy, heavy. I don't want her to have to endure that because I pretty much shut myself off from everyone. I'm unavailable. It's, and, and if I'm somewhere where there's more sun, that'll help combat that because it's part of the problem I have, I guess, mental health-wise. So what's stopping you from checking out therapy or getting medication or things like that? Therapy, I, I've been through a lot of therapists, and I've never really found a good one. But it seems like, you know, they go through the steps. They they earn my trust, or, you know, I know they want to earn... I know they want to earn my trust, and then they want to force me to look at thoughts and and memories and see what's true, what isn't. But it seems like they really, their main goal is to get you to cry in front of them, in my experience, so they can tell you how to be as a person after that, because you're vulnerable at that point. And then they reward you for your vulnerability, but they also teach you how to be. It's kind of like a religion to me. It's a modern religion where you go to a therapist to, and it's not bad. No religion is really bad. It's just, I'm more of a Taoist kind of perspective. Like 
I don't want to interfere with anyone. I don't, and I definitely don't want to be interfered with. And I have, there are people I talk to that I, I gain perspective from. It's just, I, I, I feel if I go to a different area where there are more people that are critical thinkers or a little bit more aware. And I, if I put myself in that kind of area, I'll, I'll do better anyway, because I'll be forced to, to adapt, to survive. As far as medication goes, well, I've been on several over the course of my life. And uh, for example, I, I took Prozac, but what Prozac does in the brain is it sits in the, the space between your neurons and it prevents anything from going anywhere. So it's kind of like a brain stagnator. And then there's there are MAOs, MAOIs, which basically stop your brain from processing chemicals that have been used. So you have a bunch of used neurotransmitters in your brain, which doesn't seem to be very effective. And most of the things I've researched, most of the drugs, I haven't found one that makes your brain just work more efficiently, process the neurotransmitters at a higher level because they're picture picture your brain cell with these little hands in it and they reach out and grab chemicals and pull it in and i think my theory is that the problem for a lot of people with depression is that there aren't enough hands coming out and grabbing the chemicals and processing them processing like your your brain hands are damaged yeah or they're beneath the surface there's they're hiding yeah that's the theory. Like, you tried all those uh, drugs. Nothing's nothing's even helped a, a little bit. It, well, it depends on how you look at help. What what you would call success. I mean, do I want to be walking around like feeling nothing? Because it's pretty much what happens. Or I walk around and become like. What was it? Wellbutrin made me more aggressive, oddly enough, which is scary. Uh, a lot of these drugs didn't help me. No. You ever seen one of those commercials where they ramble off the side effects real fast, mm-hmm. and they're like, and they're like, "You might kill yourself. Your dick might fall off." And you're yeah. like, "What did you just say? Like, and why did you say it so fast?" And why were there so many side effects? What the fuck is this shit? Um, there are a lot. To I, go on a lot of medications, they actually have to put you on a heart monitor first. You have to do an EKG reading to make sure your heart can handle the change. Really? Yeah, that's what they had to do with me to put me on Prozac. I wonder I if that's just Maine because I'm about to... I'm. I'm on my third appointment with Medi-Cal to get my medication and they didn't say anything about that. I wonder if it's the medication you were seeking uh, is different. So if I'm seeking Adderall, which is a stimulant, I would assume if I would need that test, right? It probably would be wise. However, it's a company, it's a business now. So I don't know. I don't even know if they still do that. I was 17 when they mm. did that with me. I'm 41 now, so yeah. Can you believe I've I'm pretty much at the end of my my diagnosis 
process and I haven't seen one person in face to face because yeah, of the because of the pandemic. That's definitely business, you know. It's fascinating that that that's it, that you <laughs> I'm just I'm a little dumbfounded that you can just talk to someone on a phone and that's enough. I mean, that was the whole appeal to me cuz like at first I was just trying to scam them, you know? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, let's get these drugs. <laughs> um but, but they're yeah. getting money from your insurance, so it's just like, let's do this. Let's just log these hours, log these conversations, get the money from the insurance, and move on. I do know a lot of people that have had real positive positive effects from antidepressants. So I'm wondering like, what the difference between them and you are. Maybe they react differently to the medication, or you know how you say you feel like blank? maybe something in your brain chemistry makes you feel blank versus even though I've heard that a lot from people. Perhaps I, I, the one I tried the longest was Prozac. I, I took that for a year. That was, it was definitely just a brain stagnator. It was like being frozen. And you feel, did you feel at any point like it was good? Like you enjoyed it? No. And then was it hard to get off any of them? No, no. I mean, I weaned myself off of the Prozac. I took my time, did it slowly. But the others, I just stopped outright. So being somebody with um, depression and like um, mental health issues, do you feel like your final, the final answer that you, your body told you to go with was be like a Taoist? Uh. I wouldn't say my body told me to go with that. And I'm not necessarily, I wouldn't call myself a Taoist at all, but that philosophy is the soundest I've found. So you're still, you still struggle with it though. You're not. Oh yeah. There's, I'm always going to, uh, what I'm, what I'm concerned with is that I'm concerned that it might be degenerative. And as I age, it could get worse and worse and worse. So my lows when I hit those dark points could be really, really intense in a way I've managed to fight it off, you know, by paying attention to what I think what's going on and staying healthy. Otherwise, you know, avoiding things that don't help, like avoiding alcohol for stretches of like five years, I won't drink and then I'll drink again, things like that. Because alcohol does not help. <laughs> I've noticed uh, you doing your push up your push up challenge on Facebook. That was a challenge from a guy I used to work with from Russia. His name's Dimitri. I just thought it would be nice. <laughs> well, I mean, it it shows that you're uh, like you're trying. You know, I I would say I have like mild depression. I feel like mine mine is more. It happens for me fucking up versus just like being that way like because because my brain is just normally depressed mine comes from like oh you just fucked up Uh, now you're sad if you ignore it it'll rear its ugly head and bite your face uh one way or another and i'm i'm not ready to 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 submit myself to all those you know let's check out thoughts wait yet i'm not my 50s yet either so (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but 
We'll see. Let hit me up before before you check out. Yeah, yeah. I'll be like, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just letting you know, there's a safety deposit box here. Check it out. I'm checking out. <laughs> we're so we're so like comfortably dark where it's not. We it's like funny to us. It's not. Yeah. It's not normal. <laughs> Um, I would, I did a podcast with, uh, with one of my friends, um, before this, before I started my own just now. And, um, he, he was severely depressed as well. I would, I feel like he wasn't as strong as you are about it. I feel like you have a, I don't know, just like this, you're just really strong in certain ways, like where you're not easily defeated, but he... Don't kid yourself. There, there are times where I'm. It's, I'll be in the bed for like twenty four hours to, and then I'll get up and I'll go do something like drink a cup of coffee, and then I'll just go right back to bed. Like fuck this. <laughs> we started that pod. I started a podcast with uh, my other friend because I, I was like, oh, this will, this will help him out because he's always wanted to do that and he needs something positive in his life. We both like uh, MMA a lot, so we're like, "All right, let's just do let's do one together." Um, so, I mean, we started doing episodes, and it started going pretty well. Like we were at, we were getting a lot of stuff accomplished, and we were at least excited to do the podcast. We had we were doing our last episode that we were supposed to do. He started telling me he was going back to work. And we, we thought at one point he had uh, COVID nineteen, and we even ha- we even had an episode on it because he was super sick. His son was sick, and I told him I was like, "Hey, like, you should get tested before you go back, and then just tell everyone, yo, I got tested.' Because he's he's like he's like in your position where he's like in charge. Mm-hmm. So like, it's just like a good like I I thought it was like a good thing to do. Like if you're in charge to come in like a badass like hey everybody i got tested every you know just so, just so you know you know um that's, that's a good example uh but he ended up he ended up getting like super mad at me about it uh cuz i kept i kind of kept pushing it a little bit not being like an asshole about it but just like just trying to make a couple points and it actually like ended our friendship we stopped doing the podcast we stopped talking to be honest i got I got offended because so he he basically was like, why are you make trying to make me feel bad? And then that opened up the gates for all the other problems he had with me. For example, like it was hard for him to get motivated on things. And I would tell him I would try to get him to do like the editing for the podcast and like try to have him do like do more of the stuff because like he was the one that was depressed. So I thought like it'd be good for him to actually accomplish some of this stuff, and uh, I, I didn't realize that that was he was looking at that like as me trying to kind of like trick him into doing more of the work on some like look at this shady Korean motherfucker I, trying, I, I <laughs> trying to get me to do all the editing, you know. Yeah. And I, but I, you know, I was well, just like, yo, he, place everything. I'm sitting there like, kind of like flabbergasted, right? What the hell is just happened because i was the whole time i'm thinking i'm helping him out you know you know this is great we got we're at episode nine you know he's he's doing all the editing like you know and he's all proud of it and shit 
and then he he like unloads all this shit where like, basically I'm evil, yeah. and and I just like, man, I'm I'm in the wrong place, unfortunately. So I lied to him because I didn't know how to get out of it. Uh, I got off the phone without any confrontation. I told him I spilled orange juice all over my laptop and broke it. And then I didn't like, I never, we like never talked again. It's like the worst, the worst way to end this situation. <laughs> well, if he listens to this, he's going to know. <laughs> but uh, I mean, if I have to say a mess, like if I have to give a message to him, no hard feelings. I definitely didn't handle that like an adult. Uh, I definitely need to, the big question here is like also like when you try to help somebody, mm-hmm. you got to be careful about what skills do you have to help somebody? You know, don't just think, don't just think that you can just help without knowing what you're doing. You know what I mean? Especially when it comes to mental health. What if I try to help you, Anthony, and I'm like, okay, you know, with a zero, with zero knowledge of mental health. And I'm just like, okay, well, let me try this. Let me try, you know, I could end up, I could end up fucking your shit up more. Possibly. It depends. Uh, I don't know that, I don't know that I'd let someone be able to, uh, that someone's able to fuck my shit up that much because one of the things, one of the consequences of like the way I am is it's really hard to actually get in regardless of how much I make myself like I, I don't mind talking about pretty much anything and I'm honest I also have this like extreme center of will and and I can be completely impossible if I want and the minute for example the minute something feels like it's threatening or it's not beneficial uh, due to the paranoia just from it because you're I'm always looking out analyzing what's this doing you definitely have a darker lens through which you view the world so it makes you paranoid and it makes you more aware of things and I'm guessing that this guy who was your friend probably just you know he he succumbed to all that darkness that he was stuck with and looking through it's it's like a bunch of mud and rotten shit so to speak it's like a dirty fish tank and it's it's hard to actually it would be difficult to actually you know if i was say a teenager and you did that with me there is a chance you could fuck me up especially if i looked up to you like an older guy who was telling me all this stuff then you could definitely do some damage but when you're looking at someone as just a peer, the most you the most you should really be able to do is hurt their feelings, or okay. or the less mature piss them off. That's just my belief, and that's coming from my perspective, which might be askew because not everyone's me, and I'm not everyone else, even though we're all each other. <laughs> well, he definitely he definitely had abandonment issues, and I definitely felt like I was abandoning. Which is, I guess that's what, that's what made me feel. So I have this problem where I almost gravitate, or gravitate, what the fuck? Gravitate towards guilt. (laughs) Gravitate, it's like a, like, I like that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Like, I gravitate towards kind of fucked up people sometimes, like, and I don't know why. 
whether it's like I feel like I want to help or whether like it's just interesting to me or some whatever the fuck reason I do it. Like I've been I've been doing that like my whole life, especially if you need help. But it all it almost always ends up like bad for me for some reason. Like it never it never works out like how I planned it where I'm like, okay, I'm going to, we're going to do this, help this kid out or do this. And it never works out. So, uh, when, when that moment happened with, with my friend, um, I was like, dude, you're doing it again. And I felt like, I felt like this old guy that couldn't, um, couldn't learn, you know, like I couldn't adapt. I keep, you know, like there's no worse feeling as somebody getting older than repeating the same mistakes to me like i feel like you know whether it's drugs alcohol like um relationship shit work issues arguments like family shit like when you do the same mistake over you just feel like a fucking idiot and yeah that's how that's i was going through it i was like yo again kenny <laughs> you're <laughs> like for the 10th time in a row like your ass is almost 40 and you're doing it again. What is wrong with you? Do you ever think about, we, we started to touch it. It sounds like you said most of the people you were talking to needed help, right? Yeah. Uh, or, or you so, saw them as needing help. There's some vulnerability thing going on. Okay. So let, let's take a look at what helping someone is. And why we help people there's the helping someone is a is a tricky 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 super tricky thing not because of the damage you can do but because of the position you think you're in in comparison to them that it doesn't mean you're necessarily wrong but you might be wrong remember you're looking at the world through your eyes and your idea of what's best is based on all your experiences and everything you've absorbed all the knowledge you have and everything. How is it a hundred percent right to say that your view or my view for, for that matter is what's going to quote unquote help that person or your idea of what steps they need to take is what's right for them. It, it's and and then again, helping people also becomes an addiction for a lot of people. Uh, they get it. They and they use it as currency. I've helped you with this. I've helped you with. This. There's a lot. Sure. Help. Help is a tricky thing. And I don't think you're like. Just so you know, I'm not telling you that you're not a helpful person because I find you to be incredibly helpful. I enjoy you quite a bit, but to some people, especially someone in a dark place, sitting there, uh, slightly self-obsessed, trapped in their own head, surrounded by a bunch of negative thoughts and negative emotions. Anyone trying to help them will, could, it's not a stretch for them to come off as an asshole. Yeah. or manipulative, or anything like that. And I know you, we were talking about how you ran into this, you kept running into the same thing again and again. Maybe there's something inside yourself that you see in all these people that you want to understand more. Maybe you stuff it because you said that, you know, because 
of your Korean background that you're supposed to be tough and stuff everything. I think I think you said that pretty that, much. That, yeah, that's well, that's the old school. That's the old school style. I don't. I'm wondering. I'm not sure if the new generation is growing out of it, but definitely back in the day for sure. No, that's that's just the way a lot of men are everywhere, um, regardless of their culture. Although the not looking people in the eyes thing did get me kicked in the shins once. <laughs> you don't look. You don't look people in the eye. No, uh, there was a Korean guy who ran a hotel in in uh, Florida, and he was arguing with the people I was with, and I was trying to calm the situation down, and I said, "Look me in the eyes," and he started kicking me in the shins. I thought you said that making eye contact or demanding eye contact was offensive. I did not say that, but I definitely before had a problem with eye contact when I was, when I was younger, for sure. I don't know why I, and it, uh, until I heard that, um, I heard a saying about like, you are shady if you can't make eye contact or something like that. And I tried to start doing it, but I, I, I was just uncomfortable, you know, I was like, uh, it's like, uh, it's like looking into your soul, you know, like, like that's too much. <laughs> Look into like a, some magical diamond that's sparkling, you know, like, oh my god, it's so yeah. bright. Letting people look in, look into your eyes is actually it's personal. Yeah, it's like the same. Like, say you're banging somebody, and then someone's staring straight into your eyes, and you're like, whoa, back the fuck off, bitch. Depends like, on the person. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes that's hot. Yep. Sometimes uh, it's hot. Sometimes it's not. <laughs> um, another example of me trying to help. Um, I had a manager that I worked with that had um, not like the worst, worst drinking problem, but a, like he was one of those people that if he was sober, he was like pretty good. But um, if he started drinking, for example, like say you had a couple of drinks um, and worked. I don't even know if you could tell. You you just are good at you. You're functional as fuck when you drink. This guy was not. His shit was all off. Like his like he could he would forget everything. His work would go down. So I arranged the whole staff to start going to this gym and playing basketball at night. So we could all like, because I knew it would cut out the time for drinking and I knew he was into like working out. So he would, he would play basketball, then he'd go work out and shit. So I was like, okay, good. Cause like, even if he does drink, it's like way less time he can do it. Cause we just took four hours. We took four hours out of his night and he was exercising and shit. So like, there's no way that's bad. So that, so that started, that was great um for a little while and then like it kind of fell off a little bit and then he um had me pay for some of his shit on my card and he i don't know why i agreed like to trust his memory because i knew his memory sucked but he was like all right so you pay, put it in your car and by april 15th i'll i'll have this money for you and then that time came he he completely didn't remember that that was even a thing. And then when I was calling him for the money, he kind of took it like I was trying to scam him. 
And then I took that so personally because I was like, God damn it. Like it's, I guess when I, the, when I get super pissed is when it goes opposite of what I tried to do. Like, I don't care if I completely saved your life or say, even if it's a scratch, right? Say like, okay, it didn't work. But when I turn into the enemy from it is when I like fucking like just get heated. You know, I'm like, dude, I'm the enemy. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I, you know, like, I can't, like, I can't deal with it. But then it's like, then you got to think like, hey, all that shit was my fucking voluntary choice to do. And like, the results are the results, you know, like, that was your idea. So like, you can't get mad at the the results. You made that situation. The best, I don't know. The best thing to do is try to learn from it, whatever you can. Now I'm kind of like not sure. Now I'm kind of in a in a weird spot where I'm like, uh, we'll just lay low for now. Like, don't don't try to Mother Teresa the shit right now. At least until you know what the fuck you're doing. <laughs> well, hopefully we never know what the fuck we're doing. So sometimes that's how I feel. If we know what we're doing, then I feel like we're in trouble. Because um, <laughs> well, that's a great point. Like, will we ever know what the fuck we're doing if we if we don't know now? <laughs> I feel like if we do know what we're doing, then we're either really bad, <laughs> like monstrous, consumptive takers, or we're just silly. Because, honestly, I don't think I'll ever know what the hell's going on. <laughs> I really don't. I don't think anyone does. I don't think anyone ha- has their shit together or knows what's going on. Everything else is just a facade. Do you have an absolute... Is there some life that you can see yourself just truly, truly, truly happy with where you're like, oh my god, this is this is it. Whether it's with the perfect significant other or a certain location or a certain career, just some not, scenario. No, I I don't think, you know, other than like somehow ascending to some other dimension, I really don't see that because everything has its problems. Everything has its positives. It's, it's things you like and things you don't. And, Unfortunately, we avoid the things we don't like quite a bit, so we don't really learn as much from them as we probably should. But I, as far as the perfect life, I mean, I think as far as it goes, I'm already living it. You know, it might not, it, it has to be it. Because uh, it's interesting. You know, it, all you have is like the moments you have and if you spend your time lamenting what you don't have, or you spend your time pining after something else, not really accomplishing much. Whereas you could sit absolutely still and just be like, not necessarily content, but just understand that most of everything's out of everyone's control. People barely control themselves, let alone anything else (laughs) and everything seems to take care of itself like if we were gone the trees would still grow right the sun would still shine so 
you had a magic genie, you get two wishes. Mm. First one would be like a quantum room where time stops. And it's private. I can just go in there. I can bring whatever I want in there and keep it there. And I can open it up and get out wherever I want. But while I'm in there, I can learn everything I need to learn. Or if I need a break from all the noise, I can just check out that way and then check back in later. That's amazing. <laughs> that's selfish as hell, but... No, that's amazing. You uh, can, I mean, if you can stop time in there, like... I mean, you can do a lot of selfless things as well. Yeah, you could. But the responsibility of that would be, like, a lot. And, I don't know, the second wish... Uh, you know, like, I could go the selfish route and the shallow route and be like, oh, yeah, like, 12 assassin concubines that do whatever I want. But, I mean, everybody wants that. Uh, I really don't know that I'd change anything else. It's got... Everything's going the way I, I I often feel like everything's going the way it has to go in order for it to get where it's going. Whether yeah, whether good or and bad. That's all the ugly stuff as well as the beautiful stuff. It's all the same. Well, that's all well I said. Uh, that's all I can really honestly conceive of. Say we thought you were gonna die tomorrow. What you want people to know about you, or what you want, like... Uh, that's heavy. Or, like, what you want people to, like, remember, like... I don't want people to remember anything, because that's... I mean, eventually they're going to forget, so it's a waste of time to want that. Um, <laughs> but I guess the message would be just relax. That's the best message there uh, is. I like people, it. People take stuff way too seriously. Way too calm the fuck down. Yeah. yeah. You know what a and what a good time for that message because look how worked up every to like dude people are getting canceled every fucking five seconds. Uh, people are getting fights over everything. What a good time for that message. Well. I hope people do calm down. I mean, I think a lot of the negativity is just people going through a learning process. Everyone is. And some people will learn, some people won't. But everyone's going to learn eventually. No choice. So um, the next the next episode is going to be all wild shit since we missed since we missed the wild shit part. Oh yeah, we we kind of got slightly deep. Well, it's hard it's hard to ask you about doing doing blow out of a stripper's asshole after like during <laughs> pandemic talk, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which is I was like I couldn't it's like double dutch. I couldn't find where to jump in, you know, like <laughs> so. it's all so, right. Uh, but, I enjoyed the conversation quite a bit. So that's what's up. Me too. Thank you so much and I'll see you all right, man. Stay in touch. All right, my man.
Peace out. Later.